1: Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks,
3: David Foster, the producer, who was a hero of mine when I met him, an incredibly talented guy, but he told me I shouldn't sing. Because? He just said, you don't have it. Like, you don't... Oh, like you... Got it. You should just write songs.
0: Welcome to episode 404. It's a Bobbycast with Richard Marks. Been a big star for a long time. For example, a number one song from 1989, Right Here Waiting... Also hold on to the nights
4: Hold on to the
0: nights Endless summer nights
4: Time was all we had until the day we said
0: Satisfied And then he's written a bunch of songs too like uh, This I Promise You that he wrote for Sync, Better Life Keith Urban
4: Paradise
0: is calm. Long hot summer Keith Urban could keep going on and on. He's got 14 number one songs, though. Uh, Listen, he's awesome. He's super funny, super nice. Met him on the phone a long time ago. And then, and we're going to feature some of this on the radio show, but the great thing about this podcast is we can do an hour. I wonder if they call him Richard as his friends. They call him Rich, Richard, Dick. Probably Richard. You think Richard? Hey, Richard. Isn't he super nice? Yeah, he's awesome. Like, funny and, like, dry, but not so dry you're confused if he doesn't like you or not. Like, casually funny, yeah. Yeah. So, really enjoyed it. Talks about his parents. How he got into songwriting, moving to LA. It's just really cool. We're super pumped that this happened because kind of accidentally Abby just messaged and was like, Will he come out to the studio? And Lunchbox had to go pick him up. <laughs> it's all weird. That's the deal. Here he is. Episode 404. Follow him at the Richard Marks, M-A-R-X. And he's doing a whole show. RichardMarks.com. Uh he was here in Nashville. He's doing all the hits, full band. Thank you, and away we go. I'm a massive fan, so just I'll geek out early and say thank you. you. I was telling the show that if either one of the versions of your career would just be isolated, you'd be a Hall of Famer either the artist part or even just the songwriter. But because there's
3: two, there's no chance. It's like
0: you know, it's like I would say you're like it's like splitting the vote. So, so yes, no, I don't think so. I think it's more like Tom Brady.
3: Okay, there you go. I'm gonna go
0: with that. Because if you take the first half of his career, he's still in the Hall of Fame. True. If you take the back half of his career, he's still in the Hall of Fame. True. I've been really lucky, actually. But w- <laughs> luck. Do you even believe in luck? Yeah. Well, I think you make your own. Okay, fair. <clears throat> What's the luckiest thing to ever happen to you, then, in your career?
3: Um, the luckiest thing to ever happen in my mm-hmm. career would be being born to the parents I was born to, who were not only super supportive, but musically talented so i think i got some genetics so that was luck do they play or they just have a lot of music in the house my dad was a just a badass musician but like best piano player i ever heard jazz piano player classical jazz and then he became a jingle composer producer and orchestrator conductor he was like the most talented musician i ever knew and my mom was a great singer uh, outwardly publicly? Yeah, Yeah, she sang on all the commercials that my dad did.
0: Do you think that you kind of acquired that through being around it as a child, or were you drawn to it because you wanted to impress or have that closeness with your parents?
3: Uh, I don't, I I started singing before I could talk, I think. So it was something I always did. It It wasn't like a conscious decision. And then when I was probably like five or six, I was singing monkey songs around the house enough that my dad said, you know, we're doing a candy bar commercial. I wonder, and he put me behind the microphone in the studio and that was it. And I just went to it. You know, I just, it was like the most natural thing. And then the songwriting thing was natural in high school in that I was just trying to pick up girls, you know? Like I didn't have game, so
0: I You weren't like super, I mean, because you've been super good looking as long as I've known you. Well, you just met me. No, but I mean, I used to like know you even though you didn't know me, you know? (laughs) You were you, you were you the awkward kid or were you the guy that says you were the awkward kid now but you were always the oh that guy yeah those you know guys. that guy yeah yeah
3: no if you ask in fact um, tomorrow night the, my first crush is coming to the show her name is Lynn and she would if she were here she would probably tell the truth which was that I was I just didn't have like girls wanted to be my friend you know what I mean like I, that's the last thing you want to hear when you're a sophomore in high school but I. Um I just thought, you know, well, I got to do something that sets me apart in order to create game. And so I started writing songs and playing and, you know.
0: When parents have a career, especially in art, a lot of the folks that I know are like, my parents did not want me to do this because they saw exactly how hard it was. Yeah. What was your relationship like with your parents whenever you say, thank you, thanks for exposing me to this, but now I want to go do it for real.
3: There was no, uh, there was no, push back. The fact that I went to my parents in my senior year of high school and said, "You know what? I'm actually not going to go to college mm. next year. I'm going to go out to LA and try to make it out there." The first thing they said was, "Go. Do, you know. You can always go back to school." Wow. And they said, you know, my even my dad was like, "Don't have a backup plan. This is your only plan. Just go make it happen." And so to, to have parents who were both so supportive was key. And again, it goes back to luck because you, know, you don't pick your parents. Did you do the band thing in high school? Did you get with a group of buddies? Oh man, I tried. I tried to put bands together left and right and nobody took it seriously. I came from uh, a suburb of Chicago where the idea of being in the arts, the the idea of being a rock star or any of that was such a pipe dream. You were going to be an accountant, you were going to be a lawyer. It, it Where I grew up, it, there was nobody from there really that had done that. So it, um, nobody really took it seriously. So I just dove into songwriting, which was actually great because a few years later when I did go out to L.A., that's kind of how I started to get going was as a writer for other people. But were there songwriters where you were? Because... No, nobody. So I was the only kid in school.
0: Who... How did you learn to write songs by yourself at a place where no one else is really writing songs like you were writing songs? Um, I went to the school of
3: Elton John and Billy Joel and the Eagles, and I, that's all I did. When I wasn't doing math homework, when I when I wasn't doing the, the school work that I was forced to do, I was just listening to music and memorizing every nuance of every record. I was paying attention to the production and arranging. And um, I went to, like, I just studied it like out of love. So that when I ended up in LA at 18, I got, my first job was singing background vocals on a Lionel Richie record. He was really the catalyst. He was the guy, he heard my demo tape of my first couple of songs and actually called my parents' house. Mm. This is when he was like leaving the Commodores and maybe next to Michael Jackson, arguably the biggest star in the music business. This guy took the time to call some kid in Chicago he didn't know. And he just encouraged me. He said, you know, I really like your voice and these are your first songs? Man, you should have heard my first songs. So I, when I moved out to LA, he had me sing some background vocals and then he recommended me as a singer to Kenny Rogers, his buddy. And that's how I started writing songs. I wrote songs for Kenny Rogers. That's how my songwriting career started. It's
0: funny that Lionel, because I know Lionel pretty well from working with him. I went through some stuff and he pulled me aside and like gave me advice. He's awesome. But it's funny that he's always been that way.
3: He's always been that way. He's a class act and he's so generous with his time He's a little bit, um, I really don't know anybody else. I've never known anybody else who has that level of grace about themselves and who go out of their way to be encouraging of people where there's going to be nothing paid back. He's just that good a guy.
0: And so I recommend you to Kenny Rogers- and you go to sing background vocals for Kenny. So are you the guy, yeah, are I, there th- I, three behind and you're doing the dances at the same? Ch- that no, no, I'm, d- I'm in the only in the studio. Oh, I'm just studio. doing any
3: live work, yeah. Got it. I get hired to, to, to work for two days on this Kenny Rogers album. And it was in the, like towards the end of the making of that album. And so I go in and I sang some ba- some harmonies and stuff on this one track or two tracks. And then I knew I was coming back the next day. And during the session... I overheard Kenny say to his producer that they still needed one more song. And he even described it. He says, man, we still need one more ballad. We need that like sort of Lionel-ish ballad. We got to find it. You hear this conversation happening. I overhear this conversation. I go home to my apartment in LA. I write a song. I come back the next day and I do exactly what the background singer should never do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is go up to the artist and say, I'm a songwriter. I've got a song. And again, grace. Kenny Rogers could have immediately called security and had me escorted to my car. And instead said, well, let me hear it. And we sat down at the piano and I played it. I was, my hands were shaking. And he liked it.
0: And he, you knew it. You can remember it. Did you memorize it from that night? Oh, yeah.
3: Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a number one country song. And the song was? Crazy, crazy for you. Can't you see? That's my Candy Rogers. It's like pressure. eighty-five or so. Wow. Yeah, Rogers eighty-five. Crazy, eighty-four maybe. Yeah. So. I was I was nineteen when I wrote it.
0: Did that song fall out of you that night? Did you feel like? Do you feel like oh, things yeah. just come from special places, or were you just so yeah, dead? Most of them do.
3: Yeah. Especially when you're inspired by opportunity. Like to me, that was. I thought, okay. I'm going to be able to hand a song. Well, I, you know, I'd made a little cassette tape of it. He didn't want to hear it. He just wanted me to play it on the piano. I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not been in there as a background singer. So I looked at all of, I look at all of these things historically as being, you know, writing to an opportunity.
0: Do you know what I mean? I do. And so you found the opportunity, you shot your shot. Yeah. That one happened to work. Yeah. But you went from being a background singer to now you're a writer that has a song, the song went number one so then what do you do do you, do, you, do you then focus on songwriting more or do you still want to sing because insti- you have got two paths now you can choose from
3: yeah well I mean all along I'm writing pop rock songs to try to get a deal I'm getting rejected by every right label. but
0: now you have a now you have door that's been opened right?
3: yeah and then I started getting a lot of work as a background singer and then writing songs for different people um, but you know along the way I like David Foster the producer who was a hero of mine when I when I met him <clears throat> an incredibly talented guy but he told me I shouldn't sing because he said you don't have it like you don't oh like you got it you, you shouldn't you should just write songs you're not a you're not an artist you're not you shouldn't make records you,
0: should, you, know, you shouldn't even try for a record deal and luckily I didn't listen to him did you all did you think for a while maybe you should listen to him
3: um only because we had at the time we had a pretty close friendship and it kind of killed me mm. It's like your dad saying, you know, you're kind of unattractive. <laughs> uh, but I then it sort of just turned a little bit into fire in my belly, like yeah. to prove him wrong, which was in a sort of big brother kind of way. Um, <clears throat> we joke about it now.
0: So you guys are cool now?
3: Yeah, we hardly see each other, but when we do, don't want it. You don't, wanna, you don't we punch joke him about it. when you see him. No, I punched him a long yeah. time ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so from 84, 85, when that song comes out... and Bef- eighty nine is right here waiting when that fine when that hits number one right. I'm some of my years are maybe yeah. Well, off the first album so. was eighty seven. So, so when does right here waiting become a, a, the massive hit? When I would see you on TV. Well, that was like my fifth
3: top five single
0: or something. What like the, really? Yeah, because we had don't mean
3: nothing, should have known better, endless summer nights. Uh,
0: I'm a massive Cubs fan, so my first memory of you. Oh, was the Cubs video? Mm-hmm. That was like a couple years after.
3: Right here waiting. Because
0: I knew right here waiting for hearing on the radio, but you didn't always know what people look like. Right. It's way different than now where you just easily get on Instagram, and see people's faces. Right. But when I kind of put it all together was me. I mean, listen, I was a massive Cubs fan. It was, you know, Mark Gray, Sandberg, Vance Law, Sean Dunstan, Maddie. Oh, I mean, it was diehard. Yeah. And I was I had like. had Greg
3: Maddox in my video.
0: That that. That, that
3: video? Yeah.
0: Well, I don't remember that, but I just remember thinking, "That's my guy." Hey, I don't know what—that's him. He's a Cubs. That fan. A guy Cubs with fan. that big fluffy mullet—that's that's my guy. Yeah, that—that's <laughs> yeah. my guy right there. Uh, so, your first as an artist, who gave you the first shot there to go, "Hey, we'd like for you to make a record as an artist," as you.
3: Oh, that was a guy. We just lost him a few years ago, but he was sort of a, kind of a Clive Davis-esque executive named Bruce Lundvall, and man, he heard the same songs that every other label had rejected for years. And he just loved them, and he he he's like, "I love what you do. Go, let's go make a record." And I got signed to a one-album deal with this little subsidiary of uh, EMI, and the first single just blew up, and that was it. We were off to the races for you know ten years. What was the first single? Don't mean nothing. Mm, Dang. Joe Walsh played guitar on it. Like so many things fell into place so quickly and easily that it was a little like, "Is this really happening?" And I had. Timothy Schmidt and Randy Meisner singing background vocals. So I had three Eagles on my first single. You think that helped get on rock
0: radio? Timothy Schmidt, hi, he's the uh, soprano. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He's the guy that's saying
4: I can't tell can't you, why. you why.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang, so you're like baptized into greatness right there with your. Yeah. And do you think, like you just said, man, is this all going to be so easy and does it get easier? Like when was the first when was the first adversity you had as an artist once because you, you come out and you got a big song when does that first bit of well, adversity Well, I had
3: adversity had. in that I never had success because or because of or with the support of my record company. After the guy that signed me, I did one album and then he got booted. So then I had to deal with guys who didn't who hadn't signed me. <clears throat> and it was just a everything was a battle. Um, the song choices, the single choices, um, I was told by the, the label that Right Here Waiting would never be a hit because it had no drums, you know, like stuff like that. And we would just sort of, you have to bet on yourself and you have to have a, a, a level of non-compromise in order to see your, like I'm, I'm fine to fail on my own, like if it's my fault, it's my fault. But I don't want to fail because you screwed up. You
0: know what I mean? Because I'll would, never I, forgive you. I screw up a lot, and you'd want to punch me. Yeah, yeah. If it's my fault, yeah. yeah. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Takovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has 1st wear comfort. Little to no break-in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there.
0: Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com.
2: T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today.
5: at purdueglobal.edu
0: and we're back on the Bobbycast right here waiting song you're known for most would you say is that the one it's probably yeah do you play it last
3: yes because you can't follow it because it's one of those songs where like you know you can't like once you play that I mean, I've I've done that before and it has worked, but I there's just something about that song around the world. You know, I remember, you know, not that long ago, I took a while, I was in Australia and touring and I had the morning off to myself and I was walking through this little, uh, off the beaten path of this little town. <clears throat> and it was early in the morning and this woman, she owned a flower shop and she was setting up the display so the door was open to the store and she was she had her back to the street and as i passed she was singing right here waiting as i walked by i of course i was tempted to go hey <laughs> I, that's me but i i just stood there and got the biggest smile on my face because it's the other side of the world you know and i i'll go to sri lanka and i'll start playing that song and the audience starts singing it you know it doesn't matter where in the world so i i Even though I've had other number one songs, there's nothing that sort of compares to... That's almost like... Right Here Waiting has sort of become like Kumbaya. You know, like, the kids know it. Did you ever have
0: a phase where you're like, I don't want to play that anymore? No. Ever? No. Of course not. Well, good for you. A lot of... Obviously, you know. I know. I don't get that. Like, uh, maybe
3: it's... I think it's less with the people who wrote their hits. Because if you... If we're lucky enough to have written and created these songs that people really love, why would you not want to play it? I mean, I don't—I haven't lost any love for... I mean, some I like more than others, but there's none in the set list that I ever go, oh, God, not that one again. Because I wouldn't have recorded it if I didn't think it was a good song.
0: Do you play that one on guitar? You have a guitar with you. Do you play right here waiting on guitar or just piano? I can. I play it on the piano in my show. Can you give us a little bit on guitar? Yeah, sure. Oceans apart
4: How can we sing forever
0: Original key? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You can still sing an original key. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. Dang. I, you know, sometimes it's like
5: <laughs> well, I
0: will be right. Well, I mean,
3: here. I'm I'm almost sixty. Talk to me in ten years and maybe we'll That's awesome. Maybe I'll be like
0: <laughs> wherever <Yeah. laughs> So you ever do one of the bad one of the bad deals that we see, like TLC or Backstreet Boys, you ever sign one of those crazy deals and you're like now I'm a, I owe seventy two records and Oh no, no, no. no.
3: No. I, I Luckily, you know, the other thing, talk about luck and my parents. My father was a, not only a really brilliant musician and, you know, creatively brilliant, but he was a really good businessman. So he kind of taught me that it was the music business. So I always, I don't think I've ever really made a bad deal. Um, you know, kept my stuff and... I think I'm pretty. I've been pretty smart with the business of music. Yeah.
0: Did you ever get to a stage creatively <laughs> where you thought, you know, I, I really love the music I've been writing, but I think now I want to do like a metal record or put a hip hop or I just you just wanted to change something. Did you ever have that feeling? Um, not to that degree,
3: but you know, actually, it's funny. During the pandemic, I did a, a you know, the band Trivium. Mm-hmm. Matt Heafy, the guy, the guitar player, singer, the screamer, really from that group reached out to me and said, I got this idea for a metal version of Right Here Waiting, and we did it. And uh, it's, it's actually pretty cool. What did you do on it? I sang it, and then he <sighs> screamed. Yeah, he did that. But I sang it really differently. I sang it in a way that it kind of didn't sound like, wherever. you know, it wasn't, I was like with a lot of edge to it. Yeah, It was pretty cool. And I'm, and as a songwriter, you know, I've been able to write for, all these different artists from country artists and r and b artists and rock bands and stuff like that, um, so I feel pretty comfortable jumping genre to genre, but like to do a to do a hip hop record or something it would just be inauthentic. Did you ever want to
0: put a rapper on any of your songs in the nineties no, that wasn 't
3: the music that I was making. Yeah. I loved it, but it wasn 't what I was doing
0: Pop music is really wild because it's it's so global. I would imagine you've yeah. played your hits in countries where you have no idea what the language is being spoken Oh yeah, and they, they, they sing, sing it, it in, yeah, broken English. They, they, they just, like, right here waiting. I mean, it's not just that
3: one. There are a handful of songs that were, no matter where I go. You know, I wrote this song years ago called Hazard that's like this murder mystery set to music that was a big hit for me in like early 90s. And I've played in it's a story song with characters and a plot. And I'll have people in Germany and... Like, the song was a hit in all these... like it was, It was number one in, like, 14 different countries. And most of them were non-English-speaking countries. And it just baffles me that people could be into it like that. You know what I mean? Like, I understand a really catchy, poppy song. But this is, like, this minor key, dark... I never thought it would be a hit. I just wrote it as a sort of like as an exercise to because I'd never written a story song before, and the song just blew up around the world and to this day, I have people ask me about it, and I, I
0: play it and people sing it, and it still blows my mind. You have all these number one songs as a performer, as a songwriter did you ever get to a stage where you're like I'm tired of touring like you're just literally physically tired. And is that, did you ever focus in on songwriting? Like, I need to get this creative out of me. I'm going to do it this way. Or did you just have all these songs? That's what you did anyway.
3: No, I definitely, um, like at the end of about 10 years, um, where everything just fired on all cylinders, nothing but hits, nothing but big tours and all that. I finally, after like 10 years, I put out a record that went double plywood instead of double platinum. (laughs) And it was sort of like, it was the end of the 90s. It wasn't just me, it was all the guys sort of lumped in with me, Brian Adams and Michael Bolton and Billy Joel and like we all of us, all the white male singer-songwriters kind of stopped getting played on pop radio. And I thought, okay, do I contort myself into something to try to or do I just write songs? And I thought, you know what? If this is it, this is it. I've had a great 10 years. But i've got a lot of music in me and so i really then stopped touring stopped making records for a while for years and just focused on writing and producing and luckily that career immediately sort of blossomed and so then i got to write i wrote songs for in sync and josh groban and uh, a bunch of country artists and like all over the map the
0: in sync song this i promise you (laughs) we were talking about it before you came in when you wrote that, did you write that for you or was it for NSYNC or was it for I'm writing this and we'll see who fits?
3: I got the call to see if I had a song for NSYNC right after I would written it and I had written it for this girl trio, this all sister trio that I had seen at a friend's wedding. And I was going to help try to get them a record. They were amazing. Um, and I tried to get them a record deal, but their father was a real sort of... Um, he had to be involved in everything and he wanted to be part of the group and it was just it got kind of funky so i kind of backed out of the whole thing but i had written they didn't write songs so i thought i need a really great three part harmony song for this girl group and i swear to god man once i had bailed out of that deal i think it was like within a week i get a call do you have a song for in sync i was like why yes i do and luckily they loved it and then i went and produced it and worked with those guys and it was a big hit.
0: In the early 2000s when CDs are being bought and that's a massive hit, is that
3: real money? Oh, man. Cause it's no, there's no compare. You know, my, uh, I have three sons and they, they're all musicians, songwriters, singers. <clears throat> my middle son, Lucas, has had somewhat of a... He's, he's getting there. You know, he had a Katy Perry cut like a year and a half ago and works his ass off and really talented. But we were all sitting around, a bunch of us were sitting around, Lucas was there. we're talking about just this, how the music business has changed, especially in terms of like, when a big hit, what does a really big hit mean for you? And he said to his friends in front of me, he said, you know, back in the day, if dad wrote a number one song, he could buy a house. And if I'm part of a number one song now, I might be able to buy a case of Nutrageous
0: Bars. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of not that big an exaggeration. Right. So the Keith Urban stuff I think is always interesting to people that know country music because two of Keith's most famous long lasting songs. Yeah, you know, there were hits and last, because there are hits that don't last. There are yeah. songs that aren't hits to do last. Right. But these are two that were hits and he still plays and people still love, like Long Hot Summer. Yeah. When you wrote that song, again, who were you writing it for? Oh, no. I, the songs I've, that I've had hits with Keith, we wrote together. So Okay, so those were Keith's specifically written songs. Does Keith come to you and go, Hey, Richard, I want to write with... How does that even come together?
3: Yeah, we were put together right after his first album. Uh, there was a guy here in Nashville, a publisher, who knew how to reach me somehow. He knew I was coming to town more and more. Um, I had written uh, with a couple of people here. And he, they sent me Keith's first record, which I thought was great. And then we got together and we tried writing. We wrote together for <clears throat> maybe a year or two and never finished anything like it didn't really click. And then I was living in Chicago at the time and he he came to my house and stayed with me for a few days. And it wasn't it was just sort of to hang out. He wasn't he was just sort of like t- trying to take a break from <clears throat> the pace of his career and he kind of came and hit out at my house. It was over a Super Bowl Sunday, I remember. And during, I think it was during halftime, we just went down to my studio, and <clears throat> we picked up guitars, and within like mm-hmm. 10 minutes, we'd... Someday, baby, you and I are gonna be the ones uh, That was Better Life. It was like, that's how it happened. It wasn't like, hey, let's get together and write a song. But because that song became so big, uh, you know, he would then every couple of years, he'd say, hey, let's try it again. The Bobby cast. We'll be right
0: back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. Talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Tacovas.com. Find
1: your new favorite pair of boots today.
5: at purdueglobal.edu.
0: This is the BobbyCast. Do you play the Keith in you your songs when you play your shows? I do Long Hot Summer sometimes. You do? You yeah. Can you play a little fun. bit of that? Do you care?
4: Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be a long hot summer We should be together with you feet up on the dashboard now singing along with the radio it's such a beautiful sound it's when you say my name in the middle of the day i swear i see the stars come out and when you hold my head and i look into your eyes oh i swear it looks like you're waiting on the sun to go down Mm-hmm. It's
0: awesome. That's the, a fun one. The Luther Vandross song, Dance of My Father, I remember hearing it, not knowing who wrote it, because I was just listening to it. That's, that's, like, that's the, that's a song. Yeah. That's a song that I'm really I am really proud to be yeah, a part of that one. That even writing it, you like, that's got to come from something, right? There's got to be some emotion there.
3: Yeah. Well, Luther and I were really like, he was one of my best friends and we'd written a handful of songs together over the years. He'd sung background vocals on some of my records and, and I'd written a couple of songs with him that he'd recorded up before then. And, um, I lost my dad, uh, in 1997, like really tragically and suddenly. And, and, uh, Luther Vandross was one of the only people who sort of knew what to say to me, who look, he, I remember we had this two hour phone call, and he really helped me. I was spiraling I was with my dad was we were really, really close and then like six years later, he called me and he said, "I got an idea for a song, I just have a title, and I have to write it with you and it's dance with my father and that's all we had was just the title and so, as we had done before, I went off and wrote some music and then sent it to him, and he Came up with this whole story that was just, I mean, that's really the meat of the song. I mean, and he wrote that song about his own father. So I knew why he wanted to write it with me because he knew the connection I had to my dad. But that song, <clears throat> you know, like it was 10 days after he mixed that song that he had a stroke. It was wow. the last thing he ever did. But he lived long enough for us, you know, to see us win the song of the year and see the success of the song. He was so proud of it. Um, but I remember him saying, "Like this is going to be the biggest song of my career. And I was like, shh, don't
0: say things like that. Don't jinx it. But if you only knew, every NCAA tournament at the end of it, one shining moment. Yeah. You know? Right? It's got two that feel, made me feel completely different, but both
3: make me feel. I mean, sometimes it's like, uh, I've never written a song that I thought was a hit. I have never had that experience. I know other songs, like Diane Warren, every interview, she goes, I knew that was a hit the minute I, good for you. Because I have, I just write songs that I like, but I've never been able to determine what is a hit and what's not. So they've all been surprises to me, but some more than others. And I, I really was shocked that Dance With My Father was, has become so beloved, you know. Um, but that's the, there's just, just magic in it you know it's all this like writing a song to this day is still a piece of magic to me if i sit if i finish another song and i've written thousands of songs and every time i finish another song i go i can't believe that
0: i can't believe we just did that or i just did that do you like to write by yourself
3: yeah i do collaborate quite a bit but my favorite thing is to write by myself and most of my hits i've written by myself most of them
0: Man, that's awesome other reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so a couple things here. One- By um, the way, I really love the- <clears throat> I don't know if you guys know, but there was a, a real dance
3: this morning with the transportation, which was hilarious, which was- because when you guys asked me to come in,
0: okay, this my is, wife
3: and I get in last night, Yeah, and they said- somebody said, um, is 10, 10 a.m.? Was, yeah, as long as it's not too early. And they said- um, and they want to know, is it okay if they send like a, an Uber- x or i was like yeah no problem so then early this morning i get a text from my guy in la saying bobby was like i'm not sending an uber for him so abby is gonna pick him up in a lexus and i was like oh that's so nice that's okay great thanks then like 10 minutes later nope dan's coming in a black porsche
0: and i swear to god i texted back okay now i want a bentley and you know what do i hear next time you will get just that (laughs) um okay so you, in a lot of the markets that our show is in, you're doing shows all over the country. So I definitely want to let all of our listeners know, all through October, and we could roll through some of them, Chicago, St. Louis, Memphis, uh, we're huge in Osaka, Japan. Uh, so you're doing this. What is this tour? What are you doing at these shows? Is it like a full well, band? Like what's, the, what's the show?
3: Most of the shows that you just listed will be full band shows. Um, I do a lot of solo acoustic shows. I played three or four nights at the Franklin Theater last year. That was such a blast. It was just me. And it's a storyteller show. And I tell jokes, and I if somebody yells out a song, if I can remember it, I'll do it. Um, but for these, for this next uh, ne- next couple of years, I've decided I'm only going to do songs live that were songs that were not good enough to make the actual albums.
0: So the whole set list. I'm kidding. I was about to say, I'm not, I'm not coming anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's all B-sides that we've been... No way. Wow, okay. All okay, right. First of all... All demos, all, all show along. Can
3: I tell you a really funny story? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to name drop, but it's, uh, but I, I don't know him. I just met him in an elevator. Uh, the one and only time I, I ever met Bono. And it was a few years ago and uh, my son and I were leaving this restaurant and we were getting in the elevator and these guys went, Hey, can you hold the elevator? And so we held the elevator and one of the guys, they walk in and it's, one of them's Bono. I was like, oh, man. He goes, Richard, hey, it's nice to meet you. I couldn't believe he knew who I was. And so we had this little chat, and as the elevator was about to open, he said, so are you on tour? And I said, nah, I just do shows. And he cracked up. He goes, oh, my God, we need to start doing that. And I said, well, you guys have a different situation. But I'm, what I mean by that is for years and years, it would be like I'm touring I'm on tour to promote this thing. no when you get to this a certain point if you're lucky enough to have had a catalog of songs it's just I go out and play the the songs people want to hear and I pepper it with two or three new songs here and there but it's the it's hits cuz
0: that's what I would want to go see if I go see a band play I don't want to hear a bunch of songs from the new album. I saw R.E.M. once. They only played their new album and not a single hit. Well, that's a dick move. That was was tough. That's tough. That's a dick move Mm -hmm. to the audience. It is tough. Yeah. And I was really upset. Yeah. And at the end, I was like, maybe they'll play What's the Frequency, Kenneth? Anything. Just give me one hit at the very end. And they finished the final track of this new album, and good night. Yeah. I thought Richard Marks would never do that. I would never do that. Like he may play a night full of demos, but he will never do that. But that's fun. That sounds like something <laughs> I'd sign up for. Uh, so yeah, all the shows. Go to richardmarks.com. And when we had you on the the songwriter album, uh, yeah, songwriter is what it was called right. Yeah, and it was different elements, genre, like it was genre five elements. It was
3: twenty songs. It was five pop songs, five rock songs, five country songs, five ballads. How did
0: people react to that? They like it.
3: Yeah, it did really well. I yeah, was did really you like shocked. doing that kind of project? It was really fun for me. And, and, you know, I just said that I like to write by myself, but that was the most collaborative uh, album I ever did as a songwriter in that there were songs... I, there were a handful of songs I wrote by myself, but I, there, I wrote a song with Keith, um, an old song that he didn't want to do anymore, um, that I always loved. Um, there was a song that I co-wrote with Darius. There was a song I co-wrote with Chris Daughtry. There was a song I co-wrote with Burt Backrack like just a couple years before he passed. Um, Just like a crazy array of collaborators and different genres. It was a blast.
0: Well, I hope you guys go see Richard. Massive fan. In all seriousness, thank you. You're very generous with your time and to come up here. And which car would you like to go back in? We've got a few options for you here. (laughs) Well, I was told told a helicopter was available. Well, you know, it's whatever you need here. Um, Richard, thank you. You guys, richardmarks.com. Go to the shows. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production.
5: Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more.
2: ends June 30th, 2024.
1: 18
4: plus.